0: Hello and welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin, I'm a Philly-based healing artist and today I have an interview for you with Dr. Terry Lewin, who I will get into her and tell you about what this episode is all about in a few minutes. I wanted to share, before we get into the episode, something that I shared on Instagram the other week um, about a mini ancestral road trip that I took. So I'm really lucky to have a good bit of information on two of my lineages, my mom's mom's side and my dad's dad's side. Thanks to some older family members, um, a person that I actually don't know at all, um, and someone that I sort of vaguely know in my family, who have done a lot of research going back to the 1700s on both sides. Um, Nothing prior to that, but back to the 1700s on both. So, I'm really lucky to have that information and. Honestly, even just having that information, particularly for my dad's dad's lineage, feels really complex because my dad doesn't know his dad. I don't know his dad. Like, it's not someone who is part of our family. It's someone who left our family when, you know, my dad was really, really little. So, that feels complex in and of itself, right? To have all this information about someone's family who I actually feel so much anger for, um, and yeah, I guess, I guess that's all I'll say, but, (laughs) um, as it turns out from all that information, I have a lot of ancestors who lived in Pennsylvania, which a lot of you probably know, I live in Philly now. I'm not from, well, I guess from way back, I'm from Philly, but (laughs) Um, I grew up in Southern Maryland and Southern Delaware, so I don't actually, I have not lived in Pennsylvania before now, so I was surprised to, to see that, and there's some pretty detailed information in this research about cemeteries that they were buried in, about towns that they lived in, and specific churches they were married in. And much of it is within a few hours of my apartment. I think the furthest place is a small family cemetery, which I would like to go to at some point. It's about three hours away from where I live now. But over, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, I visited two of those churches, Old Zion Lutheran Church in Philly, which is on North Broad where my German ancestors Friedrich and Susanna were married in 1771, and I also visited Trinity Lutheran Church in Reading, Pennsylvania, where my also German ancestors Conrad and Catherine were married in 1785. And I didn't go inside um, because of COVID, and they were both closed. I would love to go back at some other time where it's safe and I'm able to actually go inside, but it felt so powerful to sit on the steps of these places and in their gardens and to walk on this land that i know my ancestors also literally walked on two three hundred years ago it felt sacred it felt really emotional and i really felt the the threads of humanness of suffering and longing and complicity and suffering and love and desire that that connect us and I really deeply felt myself as their manifestation on earth when I was meditating in the garden outside the church in Reading I just saw this visual of like all of us as golden threads and Um, actually, it's kind of hard to explain, you had to be there in my mind to get what I'm talking about, but I just saw this beautiful visual um, that just felt deeply connective, and felt myself as, yeah, the manifestation of their suffering, and their desire, and their love, and them, their humanness on earth, and, you know, ancestry is so complex, and I think I want to share this in this episode specifically because yes it just happened this road trip um but you know I've been on an ancestral healing journey for a while and I I know many of you have as well but I think where I'm really at with my ancestors is they were humans you know and trying to get their needs met and often Finding some really harmful strategies for doing that, often not finding harmful strategies, often not getting needs met, you know. And nonviolent communication really has helped me with ancestor work. And I think that's really important if, you know, especially if you are also a white person grappling with um, the legacy and lineage of white supremacy, of colonization. It's like, to me, demonizing my ancestors and saying, you know, they were they were all bad, they were horrible, is not helpful. <laughs> it's not healing, and I also don't think it's honest. I don't think that's true. Um, and yeah, I think you'll hear throughout this episode how you can connect nonviolent communication work to all kinds of things and i'm connecting it to ancestor work right now but i really think it's so helpful in so many ways and of course in our relationships with ourselves and our relationships with the physical our relationships in this physical world that's what i'm trying to say so yeah, this episode's about nonviolent communication. Um, and I have Dr. Terry on who is really incredible. She's a chiropractor. She owns Back to Life Urban Sanctuary in Fishtown in Philly, and she's a nonviolent communication teacher and facilitator. I found her work because she taught I think it was like two three hour workshops as part of my Reiki master training at the Reiki School and yeah, you'll hear in this episode that nonviolent communication has really changed my life and I honestly don't think I have that much of a depth of understanding of it. I mean, I, you know, learned from Terry for about 6 hours, but obviously there's so much more to learn and the work is so deep, but even just what I learned in those two classes has really been powerful. So I'm really excited to share this interview with Terry with you. And I also just wanna say some of these things may challenge you. I think some of the things in NBC definitely challenge me. Um, As always, you know, take what works for you. But also, I'll just invite you to maybe let yourself be a little challenged and let yourself be a little uncomfortable with some of these concepts if they bring that up for you. Um, we talk about, of course, her journey with nonviolent communication, what nonviolent communication is, what violent language is, how belonging plays into all of this, the function of our feelings, communicating our feelings, getting our needs met what are needs, empathy and how empathy changes how we show up, impact and intention, carceral culture, meaning making and taking responsibility for meaning that we make, and more. So I also link to two books in the description, one that Terry mentions, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, the link for that is in the description, as well as a book workbook called decolonizing nonviolent communication that i have that's really wonderful it's through the women's center for creative work it's actually out of stock right now but i did want to link to it so you can you know stay tuned for when it comes back in stock which i assume it will because i bought it after it was up out of stock and came back in so just so you know where to find that if you would like to And of course, I have the links to Dr. Terry's info as well that you can check out. She's got some really cool classes that if this episode is intriguing to you, if it opens things up for you, you might like to explore. And I just wanted to share two other things before we get into the interview. Um, The first is just, it's Sagittarius season. If you missed the last episode, I shared that I have a free Sagittarius season breathwork playlist and intro to breathwork video that you can access also at the link in the description if you want to you know, breathe into some of these Sagittarius themes around truth and expansion and vision that's available for you. And I also have a link in the description for the religious trauma workbook waitlist. The workbook will be coming soon. It's kind of you know, it's in the hands of the graphic designer right now. So I'm just waiting to see you know when that will be ready and how long that will take. But It will be soon, and I'm going to be sharing a few email practices with the people who are on that wait list soon. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly when, but soon. Um, And you'll also, of course, get access to the workbook first. So if you're into it, if you've been waiting for this religious trauma workbook, as I've been sharing about it, then you can join that wait list. And if you're already on my email list, you won't get at it twice. You'll just get a little, like tag on you that's like religious from a workbook so yeah links for everything you could ever desire in the description and without further ado here is my conversation with terry i always like to start the show by hearing a little bit or a lot or whatever you'd like to share about your journey to getting to where you are now and the work that you do um So yeah, I'm curious, like how you have arrived to this nonviolent communication work and maybe what it means to you.
1: Well, uh, there's a long version to that and then there's a shorter version and I guess I'll go with the shorter version. (laughs) Uh, The shorter version is that I was, um, I got sick and uh, in a 10 day period, i had a gallbladder thing so it wasn't horrifying but i got sick and i was married and i smoked and i led the pretty much the standard american lifestyle and in the 10 days that i was in the hospital i literally stopped smoking i became a vegan and uh decided to end my marriage and ultimately maybe five months after that i got so into health like it kind of freaked me out that a condition like that it was clear to me that I created the condition of my body, that something didn't just happen to me. So that I was lucky to sort of have that. And, uh, and so I, at the time I worked for, in a family business and I told my dad was going to retire and it was like, you know, I, I didn't want to work for anyone else. So at that time it was like, well, if I could do anything I wanted to do all day long, every day, what would it be? And it was, um, either become a chiropractor and do network chiropractic or at the time macrobiotic counselor food. I was into food and you know body stuff so i uh, chose chiropractic and i quit and went to chiropractic school and came back and the kind of worker that i did was transformational body work it wasn't really about back pain and i opened a practice and i was older you know i was already approaching 40 if not 40 so i was kind of older in my life and opened this practice and I was uh taken aback by how many people were not well. Like I just I had never gone to the chiropractor because I was not well. I was sort of a, a whole wellness sort of uh kind of person. Holistic I went for holistic turning the power on and people were coming to me because they were sick. They didn't feel well emotionally and physically. And after a year in practice I was like almost burnt out one year. School's expensive. So uh, <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I kind of went on this quest of uh, what is needed to grow healthy people because people were coming to me and they were young, like they were 20 years old, already in chronic pain. And I'm like, oh, my God, whether it was really emotional pain or physical. And at that time, um, you know, like my research sort of guided me towards community. You know, we really need community. If we grow up with this deep sense of belonging, that might be words I use now. I didn't know that then. Um that we would be well and so then I went on a quest of sort of how do you you create that and uh, you know it's just very hard to stay in community or even relationship because we don't know how to talk to each other we don't we just don't and so I started researching and taking all kinds of workshops and uh, bodies of work to really even understand that and it was years when I It took years but when I discovered NVC really in, in full it was like that it was an instant shift it's like oh the work itself is embedded in a social justice context where everybody's needs matter not just like oh our relationship will be good and so that really spoke to me and then the structure of it as well as the conceptual piece really just was everything so And so I did it and I was partnered up at the time and my partner was into it too. And so I had a lot of support for doing it and I started studying that work in earnest and, um, and just applying it. And when I applied this work, like as it's taught, all my relationships changed, not with the partner who was into it too, not just with him, but with my dad who thought it was crazy to, you know, like he thought, (laughs) Everything I did was crazy with him. My relationship transformed with him. My relationship transformed with my mom. Everybody, like my whole life changed. And so that was probably about 15 years ago. And to this day, this work deepens for me. The understanding and the complexity of how I can know myself and how I can uh, try to understand others and create a quality of uh, relating that feels good to both of us or all of us. It's kind of like everything. It has transformed my life. So that was actually the short version.
0: <laughs> I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I guess, like, I would just really like to hear what is nonviolent communication? Like, what does that mean? And, like, when you're talking about this framework, like, for people who have never heard of it before, what is it? Great.
1: So there's a body of work called nonviolent. There's a book called Nonviolent Communication, which was written by a man named Marshall Rosenberg who grew up in Detroit in the 60s during the race riots. And he was one of those remarkable people who was at six years old, you know, questioned why people were hurting each other outside and why his family was so loving inside. Like he just started, so he went on a lifelong quest and um, which he talks about in some of his videos, not in the book, and he wrote the book. the title is nonviolent communication, which uh, most people don't like him, the people who do the work, you know, the trainers and often people who like, if you're offering, Oh, I'm going to teach you nonviolent communication. People don't particularly love it. And there's no other, I think what, how it got the name was, um, that it was named in another language. It was very international. Marshall traveled all over the world and did some pretty significant, um, mediations between countries and people and i think it was given the name in another language that translated into nonviolent communication and so that's how it stuck and um so i think people might be surprised what violent communication is i think most people imagine that uh, that requires yelling or uh, arguing and really uh, you know, when we talk about it, it doesn't. In, in in the shortest way that I can say what is violent communication and the way that we're trying to make a shift is really using static language or trying to, so announcing that something is some way or some, you know, like you are this way or you are that way or this is. So using labels to describe a person or a situation where we're holding it static, like that is bad and that is good or this is is sort of what I might say is violent because it requ- if I'm now talking to you and trying to share with you something that's going on for me, but I tell you my opinion as if it's the truth, like the weather is beautiful, well, if you don't like the weather, now we're in an argument, unless you have some mad skills, right? If you have some mad skills, we don't necessarily have to argue it. Most of us don't. And so it's really um, comparing static language. It is you are with fluid language. Being out here in the sunshine and this temperature, I feel really alive or I feel really hot and exhausted. You know, So both are true. Doesn't make the day good or bad. And we could argue about whether it was good or bad weather all day long. And so that's the biggest difference. And so I think I'll stop there
0: yeah well I was hoping you would share that I'm really glad you did because that was one of the first things I think we talked about in the class that I took with you where I was like what that's so wild when you were like this is what violent language is and I think you used that example like it's a beautiful day out or something or the weather is beautiful and I was like oh that's so interesting it's like not about yelling or using language that we think of as harmful, like calling people names, like we know that that's harmful, but about stating like our feelings as fact, the way we think about a fact as true, like that distinction is so fascinating for me. And I still notice all the time when I'm using that kind of language, when I'm using that (laughs) static language and when people are using it with me, And how it makes me feel. And there's so much more of a closeness to it than an openness. And what you brought up about belonging, I don't know, it's making me think about that too, like how, well, maybe I don't think it's a beautiful day. And now I feel like I don't belong here, like I'm outside the group consensus or something like that. And so I don't know, like, does that make sense to you? How is this? It really
1: really does. You know, there's so much I could say about that. The first thing is that human beings are pack animals. And so for us to be in disagreement with somebody, even if it's just one person, it's scary. It's like, well, what if I don't think it's a beautiful day? Is Am, am I going to lose my sense of connection with this person? Like, what's going to happen? And then, you know, so that's just in general. If we're in partnership and, are you know, we have a family and, you know, it's, we can take this anywhere as adults, we might, you know, again, lose our connection with the, with a with a group of people. We may not agree with the the sort of some of the things that they say. And it's really scary then to bring it up because it's not logical, but where it's a needs based communication. So my need for belonging is at risk, not like, Oh, people won't like me. So biologically our neurological system, because we are wired to be a pack. And if there is some sense that I'm going to be kicked out of my pack from evolutionary psychology, I'll be alone in the frozen tundra, which means I'll die. So if for me to bring up to you, this is not logical, but it is true Mm -hmm. that I really indeed don't like the weather. And you know, every summer you tell me how much you love it. And I'm afraid to say I don't because I like fall better or winter. It's this it's based in this deep sense of I'm not going to be safe if I say something. And then it often, if we say that to the person, like, then, and when I mean safe, I mean our neurology, our, the, but the chemistry in our brain is saying, you will die, right? And so there's a lot to talk about, but I don't mean emotional safety, which is a buzzword in the new age community. I think we're generally, there is no such thing as emotional safety. It's like, do am I comfortable enough to be with a person who disagrees with me? So when I talk about safety, I mean actual safety. I don't mean emotional safety because you can disagree. I'm generally speaking fine if someone doesn't agree with me. But um, And then there's the piece of growing up inside a family unit where if the parents and the other adults aren't really all that attuned to like sort of the nature of the child, which maybe many of us have experienced, They kind of tell us what's true versus pull it out of us what's true. And we learn early, early on because of this deep need for belonging that we better not rock the boat. And so this idea that we don't feel seen and we don't feel heard even as adults starts from that kind of fear and disconnection of not actually being seen when it mattered, when my life would be in danger. You know, because if I'm two, I can't actually, I am in danger if I'm not part of the group. You know, I can't get my own food at two and three and six. I can't just go get my own apartment. So it's all based, these feelings that we have as adults is real. It just may not be logical. It's not the way out of conflict is to logically think, oh, if, they, if my friend doesn't invite me to lunch, then my need for belonging and safety and, and and companionship needs aren't getting met. They might just say, "You're crazy. I just didn't want to go to lunch," you know. And so then we lose our connection because we don't know how to talk to each other about that stuff. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah that's really resonating for me i'm even thinking about just like the smallest of examples like back when i used to actually take lifts because i had places to go (laughs) just like being in the car and how many conversations i had with drivers where it's just like this very i don't know like a weird static language thing it's like oh yeah the weather's so nice or like country music is the worst if it comes on the radio or something and i'm just like yeah, like I'll just agree with whatever it is they say, even if I don't, but like there is, like we're not actually connecting um, because,
1: yeah. And, you know, in that situation, maybe it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think I use that example because it doesn't really matter. But (laughs) often it does matter to Mm -hmm. us. And, you know, we often don't when we're with people where we can get in, there's so many little places where we might get caught up is if they use a label that we like. Often I'll be on group emails and they're like, oh, Beth, you're just the best. And I'm like, okay, well, tomorrow when Beth says something that, you know, whatever, Evelyn doesn't like, then uh, tomorrow, then Beth is the worst. And if you're going to buy the story about you when you like it, then you need to buy the story about you when you don't like it. And the truth is they're probably right both times. Sometimes I'm a jerk. Sometimes I'm not, right? There is no such a thing, you know, like, yeah, you just – What's actually true is whatever I just did, you didn't like. And this idea, one of the hard things I think for us, again, and it goes to the sense of belonging and care, is that it's really scary to say someone how we feel. So instead of saying we how we feel, we just tell them how it is. Hmm. Rather than, you know, when you said that, I felt hurt or I felt confused. And I'm wondering, is that how you wanted me to feel? Is you, that your intention? Or something like, you know, it really matters to me that you care about me and I want to just check out something that you said last night that uh, I thought was hurtful or at least I'm very confused. So to really start ripping our heart open and revealing what's going on for us is not common. Instead, we just say, well, you know, you really shouldn't have said that last night or, you know, like that was pretty mean last night. Or rather than what happened for me when I heard what you said and so that's way more revealing and we live in a culture generally where you know we're supposed we would never say i love you first and there's all these games you got to play maybe you don't call the person for three days after a date or whatever you don't want to and i'm all about like tell everybody how you feel all the time and if they don't like that then maybe they're not a good match for whatever it is you're doing together
0: yeah i mean that's like what you're speaking about feels so much more vulnerable and tender like i i think you're right like that's why it's so scary
1: little beings we are it's if what if what if we all just we're we're tender with each other it is a very tender place that we don't know how to hold often people you know i'm I'm guessing many of your listeners have heard people say don't cry when they're Mm -hmm. crying and it's like well why not i feel sad Like, I'm really sad about this. Like, why is it, like, that's to me, like, sort of the emotional thing. Why is being sad not so good? Why is even being angry not so good? What our feelings are designed for, you'll learn in an NVC course, in a human being, our actual emotions and our actual sensations, both our feelings, they're designed to tell us what to do. That's their function. Their function is literally, do I want to turn left? Do I want more of what's happening or do I want less? Am I safe? So if my feeling is um, super fear, because there's someone like, what should I do? Should I run? Should I walk towards it? Do I want more of this? And so really understanding and getting uh, feeling literate would serve all of us, you know? And so then I can know, am I furious or am I frustrated? Am I just concerned? Am I disappointed? You know, and then why? Not because the person did it, but because there's a need, there's something that's important to me that, is, that I am having trouble accessing or I'm accessing delightfully. Is that another way um, I'm either celebrating needs met or I'm longing for needs met? And my feelings tell me that. Mm. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's making me think of something else that I learned in your class that was just like mind exploding, but it was like, I think you said something like everything everyone else does is just trying to get their own needs met. And everything wow.
1: a human does is an attempt to meet a need. And often we have tragic suicidal ways of getting our needs met. That's a Marshall quote, That's not just me. Yeah. So everything I'm doing. And so because we're grown up, not know, a race, not knowing ourselves very well, We often have strategies to meet our needs that generally don't and likely won't. (laughs) So like if I'm wanting more intimacy with my partner and I'm consistently making him wrong for not speaking, Hey, why, why didn't you tell me that? Like, why aren't you telling me your feelings? Well, either it's because I keep, you know, I'm not making enough space or I'm making him wrong for not telling me the feelings or Uh, Maybe he has many times and I haven't enjoyed it. And so I made him wrong then. And so this work, while in the beginning, it seems like, oh, really good. You just say an observation, like what actually happened, how I feel about it, what's important to me, and then I'll make a simple request. Ultimately, it's really about slowing everything down, slowing our conversations down, slowing our awareness down enough to sort of What's important to me in this moment and what do I want to do about it? Do I want to say something now? What tone of voice might I use? Do I want to yell at this person? You know, is that going to have them open up their heart to me? Mm -hmm. If I, if someone says something that I don't like, or maybe they curse at me or they, you know, um, and for me the need you know so i don't like it i tell them they shouldn't use the word but if i were in the consciousness of nbc i would say wow i'm really feeling nervous or um, a little bit tense or you know kind of scared and closed off and the need is really for compassion and um so if i were to yell back hey don't curse at me you stupid idiot i'm not generating compassion so once I connect to my need, wow, I'm feeling scared and confused, they just were cursing at me, I really want compassion, then I can, there's lots of ways for me to get that need met, either inside this communication right now that I'm having, or in many other ways. I could just start to generate it, wow, it sounds like you're really frustrated by the language you're using, and I'm wondering, you know, why don't you tell me more about what's going on for you? So to me, that's generating compassion. They don't have to do anything in order for me to have an experience of compassion. Or I might just say, listen, let's put a comma here in our conversation because I'm feeling, like I don't really want to listen the way you're talking, so I don't want to pretend that I'm listening. And then I can go call a friend and tell them how hard it was and see if I can get my compassion needs met. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of ways to get our needs met we tend to lock into a specific way, which is a strategy. We often confuse the strategy with the strategy with the need itself. So that's something you learn when you learn about this, you know, this kind of communication um, is how to distinguish the actual need, compassion from a strategy, which is, you know, you should really talk nice to me or you should really not use that tone of voice when you're talking to me that's a strategy and that might work, but it might not. And they might say no. So.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, what are, what are examples maybe of needs or like, is it all coming back to like our basic needs for like love and belonging or like how, how can we know those?
1: Well, I have a list that you can print on my website and, um, but, and there's, I don't know what what that number is they're basically abstract nouns if you're if you're a linguist and there's a long list but um you know so compassion is i mean certainly sustenance is a need air is a need maybe i'll talk a little bit about this you've probably heard this in the class so we understand that air is a need why because we can measure with our little brains if i have air and i'm thriving and then someone takes that air away there's a timeline that's fast enough for me to link the, you know, first I start to suffer without the air. Then I suffer a lot. And then I die. So we kind of put it like to have a thriving life. We kind of get as humans that we need air, we need water. We can that timeline is a couple of days. We can probably hold that together. All these other needs like love and compassion and meaning and purpose and a deep sense of belonging and care. And, um, you know, um, maybe power in my world, autonomy. There's a big long list. All these needs are equal to air Other, in terms of their actual needs to thrive. It's just that it takes longer between thriving and suffering and then dying. So it takes years and we can't, our, we can't put it together. So we walk around with a deficit of many needs, often most of us, and we're not well. And we don't really think about it and the doctor doesn't say, well, what needs of yours are getting met? They just label a disease, like a a cluster of things that I think, and you know, a big one is depression. Depression in my view, anyhow, I'm gonna get off topic, but in my view, depression doesn't mean anything. It's like, how do you feel? And when do you feel it? And what's at the crux? of that and that we can do something about this idea of i'm depressed it's too big mm-hmm. we need to really specifically well do you feel apathetic do you feel sad do you feel exhausted do you feel you may feel all of these things at different times and then it's why and in my experience there are very good reasons why people feel those things and so i'll, say, I'll just leave it there so needs are abstract nouns And there's a big long list that you can look for. And I, there is generally speaking, if you want, like if someone is in distress, you know, it's wonderful again, to be needs articulate and really kind of guess what they are. Is it compassion? Is it love? Is it belonging? Is it uh, communication? Is it partnership? What is that thing? Is it nature? You know, what is it? But if they're really in distress, you can just make a guess that their need to matter or belonging, or contribution. Marshall talks about this: the the deepest need that all humans have um, is uh, to contribute, to be able to contribute to their path, because if we're afraid to get kicked out. So, um, one thing you can do if someone is in distress is look them in the eye, maybe you know pat them, you know, just say, "Listen, tell me more," or "I'm right here and I care," so that the, that need, so that they so that need is met for them and then they can talk a little bit more about what maybe what happened and you can sort of understand how it is that they're in distress Mm. so yes i would say there's a core need to matter belonging contribution meaning and purpose that kind of stuff do i matter in the world sort of am i safe in my path you can kind of think of it that way and um And yeah, and so while you can think that small, you can also think pretty big and guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's making a lot of sense. I think what it's bringing up for me is remembering um, something that came out of your class as well. as like some work on my relationship with my mom and feeling into like some of the things that I was really... Um, resenting from her, like things that she had said or done that I was still holding on to resentment about um, and thinking about those and writing down like, okay, what can I see? Like, what need was she trying to maybe get met here? Like, and so it really just, and maybe I wasn't right about those needs, you know, but just the exercise itself really, really helped me feel so much compassion for these things that were hurtful. Like I, they were, I was hurt by them (laughs) or they made me feel hurt um but it really helped me drop into compassion and now i'm like
1: shit i need to do that again (laughs) about some other things (laughs) it's a pretty amazing that even if you don't have inner in so that's called empathy what you're doing is empathy which is a big part of NVC. there's listening and talking one's called empathy so i'm listening for feelings and needs or if i'm speaking i'm just saying feelings and needs and so it's one of the it's it's hard to understand empathy, but when we're offering empathy, exactly what you say happens because often with couples or parents and it's like, well, I don't want to offer empathy, I need empathy. And the whole idea is that we're just trying to get to feelings and needs, and the connection happens no matter which it doesn't go no matter which way it goes, when we're dropping into the land of feelings and needs. That is where we're connected. So the way that I see needs, you know, again, I did say abstract nouns, but it's to me like from a, on a spiritual level, it is where we are one. It is where we exist. They are universal human needs. We all have needs for compassion and I can certainly understand it. And what you did was it's like, huh, maybe you're stressed. Like there's a whole different way of relating because it may, you still may feel hurt, but the conversation might shift or if they pass the the thought about them may shift into compassion because we understand what they were going for and how ill-equipped they were to get it to happen because most of us were raised with communication skills that don't do this we we've been raised in a culture where polarity is king and so we make there we need to have an enemy somebody has to be wrong in order so i'm just looking through to blame For how bad I feel. And there is no blame. That's one of the big things about NBC. There is no right or wrong. And there is no blame. And often when you start going into this, people are like, well, they murdered someone. And it's like, yes. And we can all agree that it's wrong. But it really doesn't help if you're trying to communicate to that person and shift their life enough so that they have a better strategy to get power in the world. to really understand how it is that a person... A teeny weeny little baby can grow up and kill somebody as the best strategy that they have to get their needs met. That's the deep work of NBC. So we talked about our relationships, but that's the deep work. And it's often, you know, when I say it never, never, never ends, it's, um, it's like, huh, how do I do that when someone just robbed me or, and again, how, how do you do it? When do you do it? How do you do it with your kids? It's, it's, a deep exploration of honesty and vulnerability and strength. I like to think of NVC as um, strength and compassion. And what we tend to revert to is in our culture is either I'm going to be nice or I'm going to be mean. And to me, it's like I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be compassionate at the same time. I'm going to tell you what's so. So NVC is also referred to nonviolent communication is also referred to as compassionate communication. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a—it's—it's it's like it requires strength of character, like to just say, you know, what I really didn't like that you did that, or, and uh, but to ho- be present to what happens after you say the thing you say, or be, you know, it, in right now in today's, um, you know, currently, the, some words in 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 uh, reconciliation practices are impact versus intention. And in some circles, they say impact is more important than intention, right? And uh, I don't actually agree with that, but in NVC, the way that I would say it, if you're, if you're really in the consciousness of connecting with people, I'm not gonna be responsible, responsible for the impact. I can't possibly know your entire history And if I make a mistake and I say something that you didn't like and I didn't know, I actually just didn't know. And so what I'm, I'll be present to the, to the, to the impact, but I won't take responsibility for it. And that's really kind of nitpicking in language, but it's very, very important. I am, you are a hundred percent responsible. your whole history allows you to feel certain things your your belief systems and all these things that i i have i can't possibly know so i do care about the impact and i'm going to be present and responsible to what happened not for what happened mm. so i hope that's okay for your listeners to hear but it's <laughs> a big distinction i am responsible to it and i will stay present and I will listen and I care about your needs getting met and the impact of what I care about, m- m- the impact. But I'm just not going to take responsibility as if I intended for that to happen. That's yours, that's your work.
0: And mm-hmm. I'll be here
1: to do it with you. So I'm, I'm just, I'm right here. I'm just not responsible. Okay. It allows for a lot of freedom in relationships and it requires a lot of care.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like it all requires so much care and what you were sharing, even with that example of like someone murders somebody is making me think about all of the conversations that are becoming more mainstream now about restorative justice and transformative justice. And like, I feel like what you shared is so in alignment with that about needs and harmful strategies or that we sometimes use to get those needs met and like what a shift that is away from, Yeah. Carceral culture and punishment culture—we
1: um, label them evil, and that's it. And then it's like, we, you know, it just doesn't work. What? It's just not. I mean, whether it's human or compassionate or anything, it's just really not working. Our mm-hmm. jails are filling up with quote-unquote evil people, and who the heck are? We? Oh, you got me started. Sorry, but you know, it's sort of like, huh? You know, in the restorative circles, circles or the sort of justice circles sometimes when someone would rob me the outcome of that is rather than punish them and put them in jail is that i would actually give them money once a month Mm. you know like if we we consider the system and how if we want to restore the system to whole and somebody doesn't have enough to feed their kids and i have more than enough to feed mine the restorative action might be that i just give them some now that i know
0: yeah Absolutely. And so that is not generally
1: how it works these days. No, it certainly isn't. Yeah. And so that's a needs-based, that's, you know, again, you can call it anything you want. It's just needs-based conflict resolution, whether mm-hmm. it's people or a group of people.
0: Yeah. Well, something else I wanted to ask you about that felt really powerful for me here as well is that we're responsible for the meaning we make of things that other people say and do And once I heard that, I was like, oh, I had never even thought about a distinction between a thing that happened and the meaning I made of it, how I thought about it, what I felt about it. I just thought there's this thing that happened, but really it's the meaning I made of the thing that happened. So, yeah, I would just love anything you want to share with people about that.
1: Okay. So there's a couple things I can say about that. And the first thing I'm going to say is like, uh, you know, I, this is the first time I'm hearing like all the things that that you took from that class. And I'm really, you know, I'm just moved a little bit by how much you sort of remember these things and how much you're, it meant to you and, and maybe the impact. So I don't always or often get to hear, you know, we had two classes together. And so it really is kind of meaningful to me that, that you're saying these things. And so I'm just wanting to acknowledge that and, and that it's um, really special.
0: Uh, I mean, I'm so grateful. It, yeah, the classes are really, really powerful for me. And I thought like before this conversation, I was like, oh, let me try and like find my notes so I can have good things to ask. And I just I couldn't find them. And I was like, this is just all that what I remembered and what really wow. stuck with me. So, yeah, I'm grateful wow. for the opportunity.
1: Great. Ah, uh, Thank you. So The meaning we make. So humans, I'll try to keep this short. (laughs) Humans have a cortex. And so we can make meaning. We're the first, maybe not the very first, you know, I guess we've evolved a little bit. But like in comparison to other mammals like doggies, they have feelings. They have a limbic system. So they feel, They, they bond and they feel sad when you go away and they feel happy when you come back, generally speaking. But when we go away, they don't oh my god they don't love me anymore like they can't make meaning really like that they're just like oh sad oh happy oh you know like glad to be here humans have these cortexes frontal cortexes that make meaning of things and um for better and for worse and so often we're projecting the meaning we have on something and then fighting with it and how that happens i'll give you two examples of kind of how it happens we get hardwired um we have a filter system so we get hardwired when we're getting raised up and sort of getting taught things to have certain kinds of beliefs and this is also where our feelings come in so there is nothing like this good bad right wrong moralistic judgment there is nothing that just exists outside of us as good or bad or right or wrong it's just sunny or not sunny and Sunny being good is my meaning, and sunny being bad is your meaning, and we can argue about that forever. Um, and so that happens because of our filtering system, and uh, just so sound waves and light waves come in, and through my history, my entire history that I bring with me, it filters out into good, so I feel happy or bad, and I feel unhappy. I'm really making that. It's much more complicated, but in general that we delete information just we're very good at creating meaning we have a great system and backup systems of making meaning especially if the information comes in that we don't even want to hear we can't even so we just we literally delete information and store. if i have a story about myself that i'm not pretty and you want to tell me that i'm pretty it doesn't matter what you say i'm not going to believe you generally and so but ultimately It's sound waves and light waves that come in to this meaning making machine, right? So it's just if you were speaking a language I didn't understand, I wouldn't even have, I wouldn't be able to have feelings under the maybe confusion. Because you're saying something and I have no idea what it is. But you could say to me, Terry, you know, you look skinny. And you could say to my friend, you look skinny. And we would have wildly different reactions to that. So that's my evidence of that we're meaning making machines. Not only are we meaning-making, so now I'm going, to be, I'm going to be happy that you said you look skinny. My friend's going to be mad. And, you know, again, that's the intention impact. You're just saying a thing. And look skinny, again, it's an interpretation. So we're responding to the words, you know, what that means, what that actually means to us. So to me, skinny means I'm in my pack. To my friend, skinny means I'm out of my pack. And now we're having different reactions. So um, I'm saying this pretty fast. The other thing is that we also have, we are wired over tens of thousands of years to have what's called a negativity bias. So we have descended from many generations of beings that have noticed what was wrong, got scared easily and did something. And so we tend to notice what's not working. And that's what comes to the forefront of our, so that we could be safe. Right. Because the ones who, you know, tens of thousands of years ago said, oh, like, you know, like, look at the beautiful cloud. <laughs> it's lovely out here. And and the, my friend says to me, did you hear that noise? And I'm like, what noise? I didn't hear any noise. Well, I'm getting out of here. I heard a noise. Well, I'm the one that got eaten by the lion and my friend went off to have kids and so on and so on. So we are wired to just sort of notice what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I don't know if this is quite the meaning part of it, but if one way to instantly change your relationships is to drive your attention to consistently notice what's right. Right, because we think the only thing that's especially if we're in conflict with someone or when, excuse me, in a relationship with someone where there's past hurts and we want to get over it, but you know where they do it over and over. And in the moment, it's like, can I also in any kind of moment, let's say I get a ticket on my car. Well, I don't like that. I could say it's bad, but I don't like it. And I then I can I tend to tell me you know, my partner, then I call my mom, then I tell my sister, then somebody calls me, and it's like, ah, this week wasn't so great. I got a hundred dollar ticket from the light thing, you know, the they take the pictures, you can't even and so now not only did my body get the ticket once. They got it 12 times because my body can't distinguish the real danger from me saying it and so there's a whole chemistry to um you know being in fight or flight from repeating what we don't like over and over and yet it's our habit because we are wired to do so and so this is something that we can take on and we can inside of our relationships we can start to repeat over and over all the celebrations that we have and the more that i talk about this the, People just think it's weird. Well, I'm not going to say that three times. And I'm like, I understand that it's weird, but I'm trying to change a culture here. And (laughs) why is it like to me, it's why is it not weird that we repeat the bad thing over? You know, you didn't take the trash out. You never take the trash out. How many times do I have to tell you to take the trash? We can do that for two years. But we won't remember the time that they made dinner or the time that they... Whatever gave me a hug when I was really feeling sad, or the time that they listened to me, or the time they helped me with the kids, or the time that my coworkers, you know, threw me a surprise party, or did my work for me, or like we just don't notice that stuff, and it's critical to having healthy relationships to start to um, wire that in. So I actually did two topics. One was how we make meaning, and one was our negativity bias, but they're both really helpful to start to pull apart me and you and then how do we stay connected the more I know about me the more I can get curious about you and become responsible for my own feelings because of my meaning making machine my negativity bias or my uh, internal map of reality that's what the meaning making part is the more I'm aware of me the more I can get curious about you Because you are not the cause of my problems no matter what you're doing. It is my internal map of reality. Wow, when someone says that, I'm really longing for the need for mutual understanding. And so it's the mutual understanding is what I'm going for, not necessarily you being a particular way. Hmm. So There's a lot of freedom to start to get curious and ask questions so that we can get that need met.
0: Yeah. I love that about repeating what's good. Um, I find myself really often repeating myself about things I'm excited for. Like, Oh, I'm so excited for that dinner. or I'm so excited for this thing. Like, isn't it going to be so great? And I like, I feel like it's kind of annoying, but now I'm like, I'm not going to stop
1: doing that. (laughs) Feels good. Yeah. And it's like, maybe if someone says, what are you doing? I might ask them, tell me something great that's happening for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's magical. I think it can change, um, like actual reality, but we don't that's a whole nother topic. But I've <laughs> had the experience of doing it's a gratitude practice, basically, and noticing what's right. And so, it's not about pretending, although I think that pretending can work sometimes, but it's about in the moment that I got that ticket, what else? Mm. Well, it was, you know, my family's around me. I can walk, I have a car, I can pay my bills. In the exact same time that I got the ticket, I know I can pay the ticket, right? So I'm grateful that it's like, well, I might not want to, but I have the financial resources to pay a ticket. Mm -hmm. I have a house that I like, I have friends that I enjoy, I have, I live in a neighborhood that has, you know, a wild, uh, you know, array of people that I can come in contact with and enjoy there's just in every moment that there's one thing i don't like there's probably 400 things that i could like at the same time not pretending so i'm not saying don't have your feelings about uh but it's just not the only thing that happened
0: yeah yeah that's really helpful um and i think it's probably a good segue into the last question that i always ask on this show um which is because the name of the show is living open what does living open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? How does it feel, maybe?
1: Living open? Yeah. I am, I didn't know the name of the show. <laughs> I, I, am, I literally am almost, I'm now gonna, I'm not almost in tears, I am in tears. I, to me, that speaks to just saying what's so. Be Living open means, to me, that I am just, that you are going to be you and that I can trust that you will be you and that you'll be present to me and that we're two human beings on this earth that will we'll just care about each other. And I think that's what we're designed to do. And that, you know, for someone like me, uh, I like to go deep really fast. When I hear you say living open, I just get that you're going to tell me who you actually are. And that's a place that I can relax. Mm. I love that so much yeah wow I'm kind of blown away by the name of your book oh that makes me so happy (laughs) can you
0: if if you're able (laughs) can you tell everyone how they can learn more about nonviolent communication with you or how they can connect with you
1: yes Uh, well I'm in Philadelphia I have a website which is called uh, getbacktolife.org and basically, the, and I have Instagram. I'm at Dr. Terry T E R R I E. I should probably spell that. Yeah. And so, yeah. And on my website, I have all the classes that are coming up. I have free. I have a free video series right now of, of um, why you don't speak up. So you can just there's a place to link on there on the home page, and you'll every day you'll get a video about um, a reason you tell yourself that you can't say something to somebody. And then I debunk it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of fun. And then, because it's not true, there's always time. And um, yeah, and then I have resources. There's a needs list and feelings. lists. So a lot of the things that we talked about. There's information sheets about these things on my website, lots of resources, uh, some in- inspiration. And I write a blog and I would love it if people would sign up to get my blog um, because I like writing a lot.
0: I love your blog. I love the article that you wrote. Um, it was like too much question mark, I think is what it was called a little while back. I love that yeah. one. So I'll put the link to it in the description too. So people can oh, just thank click over you. there. Awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your work and you being here with me today. Um, it feels
1: really nice. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. love the questions.
0: So that was my conversation with Terry. Thank you for being here. When I said at the beginning some of these things may challenge you one of the things I was thinking of was the discussion about impact and intention when when Terry shared it in the interview this summer it definitely challenged me a lot but in sitting with it and really thinking about it it feels true to me now I I agree I think yes impact can certainly be greater than intention but I think sometimes we swing into impact is the only thing that matters and intention doesn't matter at all which I just don't think is true and it's asking for perfection from us you know like it's not allowing for us to be human for us to make mistakes which literally we all do right like that's not up for debate that's just part of being human and I think I think we all know this. <laughs> and to give an example that I think is easier to understand, you know, isn't there a big difference when someone accidentally you know kills someone in a car accident versus plots someone's murder? The impact is the same in those scenarios if you know someone is still dead. And like Terry says, being present to that impact is incredibly important. and in this example, you are responsible for that impact. But I would also say that the intention is so important, that the intention changes these scenarios completely. And that's, you know, that's kind of like a bigger example, but in context of my relationship with my mom, even, her impact is at times really harmful, but her intention is the reason that we still have a relationship. Her intention is the difference between us not speaking to each other versus me opting into relationship with her because i know that her intentions are grounded in love that she's just trying to be okay and have me be okay too which is not to say of course that you need to feel the same way about your relationships with people as i do i'm just sharing like yeah how that is for me but i think it's important to keep opening to evolve these conversations and evolving ourselves and letting ourselves think and change and grow and change our minds and learn more and disagree about things when we're all orienting towards love and justice. So I hope this interview gave you some things to think about, some things to explore in your relationships with others and your relationship with yourself And like I mentioned in the beginning, you can check out Dr. Terry's work at the links in the description. And I've also linked to um, those two nonviolent communication books. So yeah, feel free to share this episode on Instagram. Message me your thoughts, tag me in your stories. I'd love to hear what this episode is opening up for you. And if you really enjoyed this episode, please do tap five stars, maybe even leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That's a really wonderful way to be in exchange with the show outside of money and to support an indie podcast um, that has has no one else here. No big network, nobody else editing, just me. (laughs) Um, So it's a really nice way to support the show if it is meaningful to you. I'll be back on Monday with another interview, so stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore and Patreon. Until then,